0: to us fires touchdown Miami waddle stuck into the end zone Miami boy tight throw tight window they had to get that touchdown on that play they get it what is up Dolph fans and welcome to the drive time podcast part of the Miami Dolphins podcast network covering your team your Miami Dolphins how's it going everybody I am your host Travis Wingfield and as always I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's preview Thursday for a very big game, a game that I am personally very excited for. We're looking into the big matchup against the Tennessee Titans and a familiar face at the quarterback position. We're going to tell you how the Dolphins match up at every position, the keys to victory, the stats, the film, what to keep an eye on, a whole heck of a lot more from somewhere in South Florida. This is the drive time podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So we begin the podcast here with a little bit of information or news as far as the COVID-19 list for Miami, five players return back to the active roster. And there's a lot of depth coming back to this team today. Seaton Carter, the tight end, Justin Coleman, the cornerback, Greg Mance, interior offensive line, Robert Jones along the offensive line and linebacker Duke Riley all returned from the COVID-19 list. And just to reiterate... These reports and changes, and thus the podcast, is fluid. I'm talking to you guys on a Wednesday night here on the podcast, so we put the disclaimer in here off the top for Thursday that a lot of names could either come or go. By the time you hear this, just want to make that abundantly clear. As we said last week, it can change on a day-by-day or even an hour-by-hour basis. And the Titans. Current list on the COVID 19 list of as of this recording. Offensive tackle Kendall Lamb. Offensive guard Nate Davis. Receivers Julio Jones and Nick Westbrook. kind. Outside linebacker, Bud Dupree. Cornerback Buster Screen. Linebacker Jayon Brown. Defensive lineman Danico Autry. And then cornerback Caleb Farley is out for the year, but he's on the list. And then receiver Cody Hollister, a practice squad receiver. Rounds out the Titans. Present COVID-19 list at 6.01 Eastern on Wednesday night, December 29th. (laughs) So with that out of the way, we start here with the intro to the Titans as we do weekly on the preview podcast, a team we have not seen since 2018 in the longest football game in the history of football games, which by the way, there was no joy to be had in that game. Remember that, that victory, that the Tannehill to Stills deep ball was one of the best moments of the entire year. The Jakeem Grant return touchdown on the kickoff was also phenomenal, but the, the way football games kind of have that turning feeling in your stomach to experience that for seven and a half hours was not fun by any stretch. That was the worst game of all time. Anyway, that long stretch of not playing them is why we have not done one of these where you can kind of catch up on how they got into their current position, which is 10 and five in Mike Vrabel's fourth season. And it's been a good run there for him looking for their second straight AFC South title and their magic number to clinch that position is one, a victory by Tennessee or an Indianapolis loss gets them, Back to the AFC South Mountaintop. And their best season over that period of time with Brable came in a wild card season where they made a run all the way to the AFC Championship game and held a 10 point lead over eventual champion Kansas City right before Patrick Mahomes went Mahomes and eventually captured the Lombardi that season. And it really started the moment that Ryan Tannehill took the reins there. For the Titans in that 2019 season, he served as the backup to Mariota for the first six games. The Titans were two and four when they made the switch, and Derrick Henry had rushed for 416 yards and four touchdowns through the first six games, an average yards per carry of 3.68. Over the final ten games that season, with Tannehill under center, the Titans went seven and three. Henry rushed for 1,124 yards and 12 touchdowns, and averaged 5.92 yards per carry. And that's basically who the Titans have been ever since. A explosive play offense, efficient in the running game and the passing game with a defense that makes enough big plays in the pass rush department as well as the takeaways to get to the winner's circle. And in his three years with Tennessee, Tannehill has a record of 28-13, and 13 two playoff victories, his passer rating is 100.7, he's just a hair under 8 yards per attempt, and he's thrown 70 touchdowns to just 27 picks and a handful of rushing touchdowns as well, a very nice second part of his career here once he moved on. Now, Derek Henry's not there right now, at least as of this recording. He's eligible to come back off the IR, or I guess this is the middle window, I should say, of his surgery projection or return projection. So there's, there was an Instagram post by the Titans with a picture of him, but he hasn't returned to practice yet, so we'll see on that. But he's not there right now. The offensive line's been banged up. They've been down some weapons, but this defense has kind of risen up and matched what the offense had been able to do over the last couple of seasons. And it starts up front where they really built things, built that thing out. With a core of inside outside rushers and guys that can impact the passing game. And before Mike Vrabel, this was a team that really struggled to get pass rush. And it was kind of one of those, you know, how certain teams have these annual positional blind spots? Like I can think about the Jets, for instance. Dan Hansis on the Around the NFL podcast always talks about how they haven't had a good pass rusher since John Abraham back in like 2000. Was it five? I don't even know when that was. But you have, that's what it was here with the Titans. There was never an edge rush. But since Vrabel's arrival and that first draft class, he goes up there with John Robinson and gets Harold Landry, a massively disruptive force off the edge. The next draft class, they go to the inside and nab one of the game's most disruptive interior defensive linemen and Jeffrey Simmons in 2019. Then this year, they go out and they pick up Bud Dupree in free agency. They also scooped up Danico Danico Autry from division rival Indianapolis. Like, you get the point. It's been a point of emphasis, and they can really shut down the run and rush the quarterback with their starting four up front. So they're a lot to deal with up there. They have that big playability offense, and they're solid in the kicking game. This is a complete team that's tough to beat at home, and they take on the personality of their head coach, which is one of tough, smart, disciplined football. We know how that goes. And with that, let's go ahead and dive into the matchup, starting with the Tennessee quarterback and the Dolphins' safeties. I rattled off those statistics for you, but this has been a bit more of a challenging season in the numbers or as far as the numbers go for Tannehill this year. But I don't think that really tells you the story that you see on tape. The Titans offense has looked different this season for a few reasons. And look, we're not going to downplay the absence of Derrick Henry. He's the best running back we've seen in a long, long time in this league. So losing him has obviously had an impact, but it's not just been him. It's been a lot of hits to the offensive line. And we all know how how Tannehill has been able to endure pressures and high sack games and something that he's had to do this season he's been sacked 45 times that's the same number of sacks that Miami has as a defense and it's the second most sacks allowed in the National Football League but he just keeps getting back up he's tough as nails I mean one hit by Calais Campbell basically knocked him out for a year and a half there but other than that he's never missed any time and as a result there's a dip in stats across the board for him Touchdown percentage. Here's From 2019 through 2021, here are the numbers in each of these categories. Touchdown percentage, 7.7, 6.9. It's down to 3.1 this year. Interceptions, 6, 7. Now this year, 14 of them. What about interception percentage? 2.1, 1.5, 2.9. Yards per attempt, 9.6, 7.9, down to 6.9. He's Two and a half yards worse than he was his first year as far as yards per attempt go. And that's, again, these are, I always think quarterback stats are team passing stats. So just keep that in mind. And the Sacks, 31-24 this year with two games left to go, still up to 45. And the reason I bring this up is it's the key to the game for my money. Finding a way to continue to get these free hitters that we've seen Miami so adept at creating this season. And we'll see if the Titans can get some of their guys back up front. But disrupting Tannehill's timing, getting him off the spot, that would go a long way towards an 8th straight win. And with that, let's take a look at some of the PFF data here for Tannehill. When he's been kept clean this season, 71.6% passer, 7.7 yards per pass, 11 touchdowns, but 8 interceptions. When he's been pressured, 54.7% completion, 5 yards per attempt, 4 touchdowns, and 6 picks. I mean, things change for players, but we know about that, right? Not blitzed, 66.5%, 6.5 yards per attempt, 8 touchdowns, 10 picks, and when he's blitzed, and this is strange, 67.4%, 8 yards per attempt, 7 touchdowns, and 4 picks. So those are flipped, like clearly better when he's kept clean versus being under pressure, but more effective against the blitz than not. And when you look at time to throw... seconds when he's blitzed, the ball comes out. That's one of the hottest rates you'll get. And then 2.59 when not. So there's a much bigger emphasis for them on the quick game this season. And look, I always say this. I've seen more of Ryan Tannehill than any other player as his career kind of came along when I really got into tape study back in like the early 2010s and kind of learning the game back then. And I always said it from... Those days, 12 personnel, play action, two or three-man route combos to let him kind of stand in their survey and drive the football from a clean platform. And that's where he was most dangerous here. And then you pair him in Tennessee. It was a perfect pairing with a receiver like A.J. Brown and an offensive line like they have, and obviously a running back like Derrick Henry to put more bodies in the box. So with that in mind, with play action this year, 8.7 yards per attempt with 65.6% completion, five touchdowns and four picks. Without play action... 67.1% completion, but just 6.2 yards per attempt. So two and a half yards dip there, 10 touchdowns and 10 picks. So it doesn't matter who the running back is. Ryan Tannehill's always been a very good play action quarterback. Keep that in mind. So there's been volatility with both, but the chunk plays come out of that play action approach and the time to throw difference here off of play pass, 2.86 seconds, 2.4 without play action. So much more quick game this year. Than in years past, and the cliche says you have to run to set up play action, but it's been pretty well proven that that's an antiquated approach. Play action works based on the way you execute it, and Tannehill and the Titans are sharp in the play action game. So keys for the defense, you know, limiting false steps. Don't, don't get, don't give that second level hook throw, that dig route. Easy access for Tannehill by taking the cheese in the play action. It's easier said than done. And really taking away those digs and those seam shots. I mean, Tannehill really excels in those throws. Thinking back to the Brian Hartline throws, the Charles Clay throws right down the middle. When he's in rhythm, he has that good little hump over the second level in below the safeties because of the big strong arm, the ability to spin the football. He's also got the big, powerful arm to push the ball outside, so he'll make you defend the entire field. He's also an adept runner with the football in his hands. Not exactly dynamic in the shiftiness department. Kind of reminds me of Mike Gasicki that way, but he's fast. He's a long strider who can chew up yards in a hurry. If you crash that defensive end on zone read and you give him a lane, he can go for 20, 25, 30. Just look back to last Thursday As an example, buck 20 to play in that game, they have it at the minus 46 in a tie game and he rips off a 23-yard run that puts them right into field goal range and they go and kick the game winner. So where do Javon Holland and Brandon Jones, who at the time of this recording is on the COVID list, and Eric Rowe factor in here? Well, as far as the matchup goes, the former two have been essentially full-time players while Rowe's usage fluctuates between... 40 to 60 to sometimes 70% of the workload, depending on the opponent and also the availability of Holland and Jones, who have been down here you know, three games over the last four or five. But the Titans roll with what the league does, basically. They are within 1% of the average on both 11 and 12 personnel usage, but they are the second highest usage of 13 personnel, which, as we talked about last week, because of three tight ends, brings more linebackers and safeties onto the field. So I would think about all three of these guys will get run for the Dolphins' safety group. Holland and Jones lead safeties with 16 pressures this season apiece. Next is 11, by the way, at J. J. Ron Curse in Dallas. Eric Rowe also cracks the top 20. He has six pressures on just 26 pass rush reps, where Jones has 86 and Holland has 61. But all three of these guys can create pressure on the quarterback. And like we talked about, free hitters, that might be an area of of concern for the Titans and an area of opportunity, I should say, easy for me to say, for the Miami Dolphins' defense. So, I was looking at this earlier as well. This is also some strange splits here for the Titans. And this is how their numbers go against number of safeties that are deep. Single high, zero coverage, and two high safeties. So against zero, which we know Miami runs plenty of. 11% sack percentage. They're 38.5% on third down. And they have just 2.4 passing yards per game. Now, they haven't seen it that much, but they've been sacked more times than they've gotten the pass off from that look. That is very interest intriguing to me with one single high safety 98.3 passing yards per game 103.7 rushing yards per game and 50% on third down this is so weird they they pass the ball for fewer yards against single high than they do run the ball with two high safeties it gets weirder 31.6 rushing yards per game and 101.3 passing yards per game i maybe maybe the numbers are skewed towards more throwing but i mean I would think with Derrick Henry, that'd be a much more closer percentage split there. And they're also 34.1% third down rate against two high safeties. So maybe that's the route right there. I mean, again, there's weird splits that tell you different things. How you want to put it together, that's beyond what I can do. But I'm just giving you the interesting facts here that I found very intriguing about this big time matchup. I think disguising coverage and causing indecision to disrupt that quick passing game, always a key, and it'll be a key here, which brings us to our next matchup the tight ends and receivers of the Titans versus the cornerbacks of the Miami Dolphins. And I'm still so perplexed by those number of high-safety splits. like They're flipped from what's normal. It can't get over that. But here, we start with A.J. Brown. You saw the impact that he can have in that game last Thursday night. First game back, 49ers really didn't have an answer for him. 11 catches, 135 yards, and a touchdown, and their offense going from zero points in the first half to 20 in the second, and that came directly with where A.J. Brown's production came from. He took over that game like a star receiver does, and he wins with his ability to put his big frame in position where it's impossible for guys to get through him. He's a crafty route runner who knows how to kind of sink the hips, drop the shoulder, and kind of put weight into the defensive back. And from that position, you have to be ready for him to really have a three-way go where he can continue vertical. He can break it off either direction or even come back to the quarterback so he puts you kind of on your heels. And then from there, he can explode out of those breaks. And with the big body and the physicality, if you want to try to go around him, it's a good opportunity to get past interference. So the physicality to match up with him, it's always been something that Xavier Howard's excelled with, right? But not just with how he matches up with actual hands on the receiver, but the way that he can mirror and, well, I'm trying to think of a a synonym for mirror, but just mirror the routes and the moves that the receiver takes, in this case, A.J. Brown, and that allows him to recover better and break on the football better because he's not at the peril of being overpowered physically by A.J. Brown. I can't wait for this matchup. If that's how it goes, I mean, who knows? Maybe you double AJ and you use X and Byron elsewhere. Maybe they're part of that double. You certainly have options as you do every week with this deep secondary, especially with the return of Justin Coleman. But last week, I mean, this should tell you how excited they were to have him back. 16 targets, four of those versus Josh Norman, three for 42 and a touchdown. Four of those versus Ambry Thomas, two for 46. Three versus Jimmy Ward, one for 12, and this is an underneath reroute. And I saw it on tape because you don't want to bring a safety down to just straight up cover A.J. Brown. So one for 12 against three targets on that double, and then two targets against Kawan Williams, two for 12, two against Fred Warner, the linebacker, two for 15, and one for Marcel Harris, one for 18. So he'll find his matchups. They'll move them all over the football field and given Miami's propensity to mix things up. That's probably the smart assumption for how to defend him, to mix it up with different looks but we'll see his 92 targets lead the team, even though he's only played 11 games and still he has double the targets of the number two option, which is Nick Westbrook. Ikine. he has 46 targets. I'm sure Julio would have a lot more than 38. If he played in more than nine games, then it's Chester Rogers with 37 targets. And this is where you start to see the idea behind the offense and that 13 personnel package. It's AJ Brown. And then a collection of people. We mentioned the 46, 38 and 37 targets, Here's the rest of the list, 34 for Jeremy McNichols, 34 for Jeff Swaim, 21 for Dontre Hilliard, 20 for Derek Henry, 18 for Michael Pruitt, and 17 for Marcus Johnson. So they spread it out beyond their top target. How does Miami counteract that? Well, first, will Julio Jones play? I think that changes things even if he's, if he hasn't been as productive as he was for so many years in Atlanta. You still want to account for him and he's still averaging 14.5 yards per catch and even just one big play can change the complexion of the game. Now the rest of that collection that's all backs and tight ends aside from Marcus Johnson at the bottom with 17 targets he's a receiver so you need backers and safeties to be involved as well but I think the matchup really starts with A.J. Brown and the rest depends on how you treat that one as far as Getting him figured out, if you can take him away, that's going to force the offense to go in options that they just were not able to produce with last week. Can you duplicate that for not just one half, but two halves? That'll be a big key in this game. Let's talk about the Titans' offensive line the Dolphins' defensive line, but first, these words. So, up front, we've already previewed the Dolphins' safeties versus the Titans' quarterback, as well as the Dolphins' cornerback's versus the Titans receivers and tight ends. Let's go ahead and pick it up with the offensive line of Tennessee versus the Miami front. And look, Miami has three edges inside the top 30 in QB pressures this year. Wilkins is top 30 among interior defensive linemen, Sealer, Butler, Davis doing it too. It's a lot to contend with. And I talked about this earlier. The numbers the Titans have posted against different looks, giving this Titans line different looks, different mugged up backers or safeties in the equation, different games, with the defensive line pulling different guys into the hook zone, whether it's a Adam Butler or Jalen Phillips, just backing different guys out, showing pressure, playing coverage, vice versa. We saw the cat blitz last week. Bring some, bring Nick Needham, uh, bring bring them all. I think that's the key here. Like with Tannehill, keep this line guessing create even the slightest hint of hesitation, and that will go a long way to getting pre- the pressure you need to slow this Titans offense and ultimately win the game. I have no idea who's going to play. Like, we told you the names on the COVID list off the top. That could change. Last week, here's who who here's who here's played and how many snaps they've played this season. Dylan Radance, the rookie out of North Dakota State, 115. Ben Jones at left guard. Check that, Ben Jones at center. 1,028 snaps. Nate Davis in the lineup at 819. Aaron Brewer at 480 snaps, and then David uh, Kessenberry, 1,052 snaps at right tackle. So Taylor Lewan is battling an injury and came off the COVID list on Wednesday. My days are so out of whack. He's a pro bowl level tackle with a real nasty streak and a tone setter for that group. I mean, we remember that back in the 2018 game. He's played 714 snaps. They could get him back. That'd be a big addition. Kendall Lamb also on the COVID list. He's a reserve tackle, just 87 snaps played. Ty Sambrio played 123 snaps at tackle form this year. Bobby Hart uh, found his way into 101 tackle snaps as well. Roger Saffel's been one of the game's best guards and or tackles before his time with the Rams for a long time. 730 snaps for him. There's a lot to sort here, and but as we look at the injury report again, the Titans get some key pieces back. Taylor Lewan should be back. We'll pencil him in there, and again, Roger Saffold was back on the practice field as well. They also got David Long, the linebacker who missed the last six games, back on the practice field on Wednesday as well. So here's the uh, here's some pressure numbers for the five guys that you think might start the game. Taylor Lewan, 20 pressures, four sacks and five hits. Roger Saffold, 22 pressures, two sacks and six hits. Ben Jones, 21 pressures. He's played the entire year. So I think like really good numbers there. One sack and four hits. Nate Davis, 33 pressures, five sacks and five hits. And here's one that I haven't seen this year. David Kessenberry, 42 pressures, 11 sacks and 11 hits. So 22 total impacts on the quarterback. And so Emmanuel Ogba takes most of his snaps off that right side. And Kessenberry goes 6'5", 3'10". But he's got 34-inch arms. And I wanted to look that up because Ogba's been really effective with his swipes and his cross chops and the moves that he utilizes those big heavy hands in and he had eight pre- uh, they had eight pressures allowed on Cassenberg against the Pittsburgh Steelers a couple weeks ago I think that's TJ Watt territory for some comparison there. We'll see how Emmanuel Ogba can keep his hot streak going. Number eight in the NFL right now among edge defenders and QB pressures. Nate Davis has really stabilized that position for them. No more than two pressures in a game since week 10 against the Saints. Ben Jones in the center, been one of the best centers in football for a while now. He's always right around 98, 99 pass block efficiency. No sacks allowed this season, just one last year. He allows less than 1.5 pressures per game. And then Saffold, again, the former tackle kicked inside I'm curious to see how he deals with the quickness of Butler because he gets those quick get-offs and kind of has that first step quickness might be a matchup to watch. But also, I got to thinking about kind of him getting kicked inside and playing more of that stationary role. The way Zach Sealer has been able to move guys with pure strength – A combination of those two things, I think, could be a good challenge for a guy in his first game back. Then Taylor Lewan, Pro Bowl player. The guys that have gotten him, Chandler Jones, you know, had a monster first game. And the Bills over the last couple of years have given him some issues with a mixture of Jerry Hughes, Gregory Rousseau, A.J. Epinesa. So he's a tough matchup, but let's see if, you know, I think Jalen Phillips might be a good... A good run over there on some pass rushing downs, but also obviously Van Ginkle, Agba, Sealer, whoever lines up over there, see if they can score some wins. If they can, that'll go a long way towards a victory. Then we finish up on this side of the ball, taking a look at the Titans running backs versus the Dolphins linebackers. Not much running last week. Jeremy McNichols was the top ball carrier with seven for 31. Tannehill was next at three for 22. Dontre Hilliard had five for 20. And the guy who had the most carries was Deontay Foreman, but he had the fewest yardage with 9 for 17. So who is it going to be this week? Probably a combination. They've been trying to find solutions since Henry's absence. They brought in Adrian Peterson, but he was only around for three games. Foreman has the most carries behind Henry's 239. He has 86. He's averaging 4.2 yards per carry. He's missed forced 12 missed tackles. Hilliard has 10 forced missed tackles on 39 attempts, so he's been uh, you know about 25% forcing missed tackles Keep that in mind. I think Miami's ability to tackle in recent weeks has been really good and, and played a, a big role in their victories. And I also believe this is a game where Landon Roberts' physicality can play a big role. The, the, just, the way he kind of sets the tone in the running game is, is always important. I think Jerome Baker is plenty equipped to run with the backfield in terms of speed. He was shot out of a cannon all game long on Monday night. And we get Duke Riley back to maybe help out against some of those 13 personnel sets. So speaking of that, 11 personnel, 59%. 12 personnel is 20%. Those are both within 1% of the league average. 21 personnel is at 8%. That's the ninth highest usage of two backs, one tight end. They have a fullback they utilize quite a bit. And the number 13 personnel is the second highest usage of that with 9%, with three tight ends and one back on the field. Then there are less than 10 total snaps between 10 and O and double O personnel. It's four and five wide. So you know what you're going to get? Lots of tight ends, lots of running backs, some fullbacks, some lead dives, some of that stuff. And then play action off of that. Let's go ahead and flip this thing over to the defense. But before we do that, a quick break. So we are back on the Thursday edition of the Drive Time Podcast brought to you by Auto Nation, And we've previewed the Dolphins and Titans on the Dolphins' defensive side of the football. And now we flip it over to the offense. The Dolphins' quarterback versus the Titans' safeties. And I mentioned this, that I thought Tua's tape was actually better than what the broadcast showed or what I saw from the broadcast copy, but I still think these last two games would actually grade as two of his lower ones in what has been a pretty good season for the second year quarterback. Hopefully he can pick things back up here, but I think Miami needs him to be really sharp in this one. A couple of those third down misses last game need to hit those, need better ball security in the pocket. So how can the Titans make life rough on him? Some Titans defensive numbers here, they blitz at 20.5%. That's the 27th most, so they don't blitz too often. Their knockdown rate's 8.1%, that's 22nd most, and their pressure rate is 24.2%, that's 19th most. So they don't bring a lot of rushers, they don't get home a heck of a lot, and they want to get home with three and four pass rushers. More on that in just one moment. Jackrabbit Jenkins returned to the lineup on Thursday night for 38 snaps after missing three games. And he was limited in practice on Wednesday, but he played last week. And I think if he plays the whole game or if he's healthy, rather he'll play the entire games. So we mentioned uh, Caleb Farley's out, but Christian Fulton is in Elijah Molden is in. That's basically their top three cornerbacks. If you factor Farley has been banged up a lot this year, then Kevin Bayard never leaves the field at safety. And Amani Hooker has 600 snaps there as well. And Dane Kruikshank has 400 as well. So what I'm getting at is that they can get into their dime and their half dollar, even dollar packages. They're deep in this position group. And when you look at their top cover guys, they don't come on blitzes. They just, they, they play coverage. Or they play the run. Bayard has 19 pass rush reps. Jackrabbit, two. Hooker, four. Fulton, five. Elijah Molden does have 52 pass rush reps. He's a little bit like Brandon Jones in the way he plays down around the box a lot, but also an exceptional slot cornerback. Shank back at safety five, and then even at linebacker. I mean, David Long has forty nine pass rush snaps. That's that's quite a lot. When they do bring the extra rusher, a lot of times it's him. Jayon Brown just twenty two. He kind of he's kind of built like Jerome Baker in a way that he plays. So his blitz numbers not being that high. That kind of tells you the scheme they run there. And then Rashawn Evans thirteen. He's never gonna blitz basically. So Tua gotta throw it against coverage. What are those numbers? Well, first I thought that's been a strong point of his game and not sure if you saw Brian Baldinger's breakdown of that rip to Waddle. I covered it on the Tuesday podcast uh, drive time as well, but he was really impressed with Tua's timing off the top of the drop, hitch up, ball out. I think it's been a strength with how he puts the ball kind of in those soft spots and those are windows that open and close quickly, but he's been able to find them with anticipation and just being on time and in rhythm. And I want to get into that in our next matchup, but first two more things. Tua's numbers when blitzed, or rather check that, when not blitzed, and when he's kept clean. When he's not blitzed, 71.4%, 7.7 yards per attempt, 9 touchdowns, but 7 picks. When kept clean, no pressure, 76.3%, 7.1 yards per attempt, 12 touchdowns, and 3 interceptions. So can you protect him against their 4-man rush? It's a big key in this game. Let's actually go ahead and hear now from Tua Vailoa on Titan safety, Kevin Byard, who I asked him about on Wednesday on how the All-Pro kind of gets things organized for that Titans defense. Like you said, he's he's a pro bowler, so, you know, he's he's really good at what he does. Um, You know, in the back end, he's their communicator. Uh, You know, he gets guys aligned in the back end. He communicates out uh, where everyone needs to be, who's pressuring, uh, who needs to replace him, you know, all, all of that. So... Uh, You know, he's the captain for them in the back end. I think he's done a really good job. So definitely got to be aware of where he's at and who he's covering at all times. uh, And, you know, look pretty much elsewhere for our matchups. So there you have it, QB1, talking about the All-Pro safety of the Titans. All right, so I mentioned playing zone, playing coverage. I said that's been a strong suit of Tua's game. Let's get into the Dolphins' receivers and tight ends versus the Titans' cornerbacks. I think everyone knew about Waddle's speed, but his ability to find those little hookup zones underneath, to show Tua his numbers, to make tough catches, and then on top of that, to the ability to, creative, to find creative ways to To get him the football for this offensive staff, I think it makes sense that he's a featured option again in this game. And we know he can move all over. Here's how the Titans' coverage numbers stack up from those primary guys. Jack Rabbit Jenkins, 521 coverage snaps. He's 44 of 66 this year in terms of completions versus targets. 471 passing yards, 4 touchdowns, and a pick. More named players, Christian Fulton, 393 coverage snaps, 27 receptions on 51 targets, so not a lot of completions there, 386 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Elijah Molden, the rookie out of UW, 375 coverage snaps, 36 receptions on 51 targets for 440, three touchdowns and a pick. I was most intrigued by Molden because, one, he's a rookie, Two, he plays in the slot the most, 397 of his 561 snaps are in that position, and 124 are also in the box, so he's basically always inside the numbers. And obviously, number three, Waddle plays most of his snaps in the slot, although he does move around a whole lot in this offense, and after watching the tape, you know, Molden gets a lot of those one-on-one reps inside the slot, and when he gets help, Well, we also saw Miami create opportunities to get free releases and one-on-one matchups despite capping Waddle or showing those double teams, and a variety of motions and stacks and bunches would get him off of those double teams. And Molden's an ultra-competitive type of player. That's kind of how they have the DBs around here. Jackrabbit, Fulton, same way. Fiery type that's going to challenge you every step of the route, play physical defense, defense. And I don't think the testing numbers here match up with how well he plays and how well he transitions. And that's probably honestly why he fell to the third round of the draft class. But he's a damn good slot, but it's a fun matchup. And the reason I mentioned the testing of four, five, nine, forty, he didn't run the agile drills. His ten and twenty yard splits were slow. So start-stop ability, I think Waddle can test that a little bit if that's how it looks on the field. And Fulton was one of the Best, I thought, kind of press cover two types, and he certainly has the length to play a little bit of man coverage out there. But I thought coming on, you know, long, physical athlete, sounds like a potential Devontae Parker matchup to me. And Jack Rabbit's played 660 of his 753 snaps out wide, Fulton 537 of his 624. So those guys are almost primarily outside corners, although you might consider, I guess, either of them could really match up on Gasicki, or maybe you put Jack Rabbit over on Parker. Like, I... Maybe there's some sort of bracket on Waddle, where there's Jack Rabbit on Parker and Fulton on the combination of Isaiah Ford, Matt Collins, Albert Wilson, if he can make it back. All kinds of possibilities here. Now for the tight end purposes, I wanted to look at the way they handled certain tight ends around the National Football League. George Kittle had three targets: one against uh, Jack Rabbit Jenkins, one against Kevin Byard, one against Buster Screen, the slot cornerback. Pat Friermuth, four targets, two against Harold Landry, one against Zach Cunningham, one against Elijah Molden, then the Patriots with their two tight ends, five targets for Hunter Henry, one of those against Jack Rabbit, two of those against Kevin Byard, two of those against Amani Hooker, John U. Smith, four targets, two linebackers involved in there, two targets against Jayon Brown and Dylan Cole apiece. So they really find different ways to get that done, and I just find it interesting that it could be any of those options the game on Sunday then we get into our matchup of the game really as far as this side of the ball goes the Dolphins offensive line versus the Titans defensive line and I want to look first inside pressures and run stops Jeffrey Simmons 57 and 41 it's the most PFF pressures for the first three seasons of a player's career at that position since Aaron Donald that's pretty good company and then Denico Autry who's on the COVID list right now but we'll see 55 pressures, 19 run stops. So more of a pass rusher as far as, as far as that production tells you, but it's pretty good pass rush production too. He and Simmons, it's the best interior pass rush duo in football for my money. And then the next, the third player kind of in that rotation, T.R. Tartt, five pressures, five run stops. So you see the usage drop off after those two guys who have played 1,477 snaps with Simmons and Autry. And then the third most interior used interior defensive lineman has 320 snaps. So something else to think about there. Can Miami test their conditioning there and force those guys off the field a little bit? We know they have the wide runs and the screen game capability to kind of make those guys retrace and get outside and run a little bit. But outside, it's also tough to get out there too against this defense. Harold Landry, 59 pressures, 38 run stops. These are monster, monster numbers. Bud Dupree, 16 and 16. Now he's only played nine games. So his per game stats are a lot better as far as that drop-off goes. But then from there, another one of those drop-offs. I'm not going to even try to say his name. I'll be honest with you. I've never heard it said before. Um, adenier It's his last name. Close enough. 192 snaps. 13 pressures. Now, this isn't to say these guys can't play. They just haven't really had to play a lot this year because those top-line guys have been healthy and and played enough to where they haven't had to go into that deep into their bench. So, something to think about there. But a big game for Miami's front. I think it really starts inside with the interior three guys. We saw those two Pro Bowl caliber ends in New Orleans get their fair share of pressures on Tua. But he was able to really kind of navigate those and step out of a few of them and make plays off script. Where he got into trouble was when he stepped away from that initial spot, climbed up into the pocket into more pressure from the interior or just outright pressure from the interior in his face. So finding a way to squeeze that and keep that interior off the quarterback Big, big key in this football game. We finish up here with the Dolphins running back versus the the Titans linebackers. Rashawn Evans, one of those true B-gap to B-gap bangers. 15 run stops on 158 rundown plays this year. He's a block defeater, a violent collision maker. Teams have targeted him 26 times with 22 completions in the passing game for 210, but he also has two picks. There's so many weird numbers in this game. Only two balls have hit the ground. When he's been in coverage on 26 snaps. Crazy. David Long is a big addition to this group if he can return. 25 run stops, 9 quarterback pressures, 4 plays in the football with a pick and 3 pass breakups. No touchdowns allowed in coverage either. So he's a terrific processor that plays with great pad level and great leverage and great instincts. And that processing, I think, would be tested in this game. So he'll have his work cut out for him coming back in his first game uh, with 6 games off to knock any potential rust off. And then Monty Rice, another guy that figures into the situation here, the equation, a strong rookie from Georgia who packs a punch, 179 snaps this year, just four as a rusher, 89 in coverage, 90 in run defense where he has 10 run stops. Which back will it be this week for the Miami Dolphins? I liked the mixture last week. Duke Johnson had a slight edge, and then Lindsey and Miles were one snap apart in the game as far as usage goes. And Miles very involved in the passing game. Lindsey very involved as far as the carries with the same number of carries as Duke had. And I think what this backfield does is it gives you options depending on how you want to attack. Do you want to try to isolate backers and coverage? Maybe that's more of a Miles Gaskin role. Do you want to get those wide outside zone runs? Maybe that's more of a Philip Lindsey role. He can certainly do it. Do you want to have the the kind of between the tackles, but also a combination of pass catching? That's something the Duke does pretty well or has so far here with the Miami Dolphins. Like I like to say, we'll see, and I sure as hell can't wait. On special teams, they are 21st in DVOA, Miami's 28th. Their kicker, Randy Bullock, is 24 for 28 this season. All of those misses are between 40 and 49 yards. He's one for one with a 51 yarder on 50 plus. So it'll be interesting to see how they play it in that fourth down territory at the plus 35 or so yard line. Do they want to try 50 yard field goals? They haven't this year. Their punter, Brett Kern, 44.4 yards per punt. Their top return man's Chester Rogers. He was here last summer. 10.5 yards per punt return. He's shifty and he'll take chances. 23 returns this year. He's also brought out 14 kickoffs for an average of 20.1 yards. My three keys to the game are to generate unblocked rushers to hit free free runners against Tannehill in the Titans passing game and just bring that consistent pressure against this Titans passing game and force him off the spot and force him to make quick decisions try to throw some of those quick touch passes that we uh, try to force other quarterbacks to throw here and see if you can't just keep him under duress keep him guessing all game long number two account for receiver AJ Brown on every single play and Julio Jones for that big play element he could possibly provide for the Titans but with Brown They could not move the football until they got it going through him last week. He's a big part of the offense. Number three, it's two parts. To stay on schedule offensively, and one way you can do that is number two, to hold up against the Titans' three- and four-man rushes. No big negative plays, get positive yardage, keep the change moving. That'll go a long way towards playing complementary football with the defense to win this football game. The Dolphins will win this game if they can keep Tannehill under pressure and move him off of his spot with multiple looks, and the Titans will win, this one's twofold, if they can collapse the interior pocket regularly, and Miami's same offensive mistakes carry over with the penalties, the sacks, and the missed opportunities in the passing game. All right. Long podcast today. Had a lot of fun putting this one together. Tomorrow we have the mailbag and John Congemi and NFL picks. Check out top news up on MiamiDolphins.com. That's going to be my time for this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. You all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. You can follow the team on all socials at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast. Marco Coleman on the show this week. You don't want to miss that with Seth and OJ. Of course, our YouTube channel for the media availabilities as well as Dolphins Today with Joanna, myself, and Rachel. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline Daddy is coming home.